0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Would well, you turn with me to the second book of Corinthians? We are going to be starting the series today. And... Uh, the clip you just saw a few minutes ago was 8 minutes long and uh, we are not going to take 8 minutes to get through the book but probably 8 months so beginning this morning with just two verses so chapter 1 second corinthians the first uh, two verses that we have uh, do follow with me in your bibles so paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god and timothy our brother To the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So far, Lord, we do turn uh, to the scriptures this morning. Once again, trying to understand, trying to receive, Lord, that which you have given. You speaking to us in our own context, in our own situation, as a congregation, but also as individual believers. And so, Lord, we do pray that our hearts would be open, receptive. Won't you also, Lord, use me, the words of my mouth, and even our meditation together to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a well-known statement. I'm sure you've heard much of this said over the years in the course of the church. Uh, If only the church today, and often people referring to our church, Central Baptist Church, if only the church today could be like the church of the New Testament. Have you heard that? Kind of thinking, thinking that the church... In the past, particularly the church back in the New Testament day was in a much better condition and state that the church is today. We do need to clarify that misconception. Uh, the church back then, the church today and all the churches in between have been far from perfect. Churches have struggled down through the ages with sin and imperfection. And in fact, we need to be clear right at the outset of the series, and perhaps just a reminder to many of you it's not until Jesus comes on that day when Jesus returns that the church, corporately, thus together, but also us as members individually, believers in that church, we will continue in, until that day to be tarnished. We will be affected with that, uh, those blemishes and blights of sin. You will struggle with sin, I will struggle with sin. It's something every believer of every age will struggle with. It is only on that day when Jesus returns, when the work of of sanctification, that process of making us more and more holy, more like Jesus, it will be on that day, it will be complete and Jesus will do something on that day. We're told in Ephesians 5, verse 27, he will present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Then, then. In the meanwhile, it doesn't mean we sit back and uh, do nothing. In the meanwhile, much work is to be done, which leads me to my first point this morning, and I'm gonna get to the passage, but I'm trying to give some background over here. There is much work to do. It would be a mistake to think that all is always well, and that all will always be well, even here at Central Baptist Church, Arcadia. While we are really grateful to God for progress, we really are grateful to God publicly declaring our thanks. God is not finished with us yet. God is working in me. God is working in you. God is working among us. And so we need to be constantly at work as the Holy Spirit also is at work in us, eradicating sin and becoming more and more righteous. But I want to go to the passage and we did see something, an overview of the Corinthian context. But as we look back at this Corinthian church, it was a church that seemed to start so well. It started when Paul, the Apostle Paul with the help of Aquila and Priscilla, a godly couple. Also his faithful disciples, Timothy and Silas. They established the church during a time of uh, ministry, 18 months, one and a half years. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. It didn't initially begin well. When Paul got to Corinth, there was opposition. There was opposition from uh, the fellow Jewish uh, countrymen, if you like, or the Jewish community. And and, and Paul was discouraged. And in a very unusual way, in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, we are told that God spoke to him. And God said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you or harm, or, or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And so they got on with the job. They, they, they worked hard. The church was established. He persevered and, and he preached the message of the cross, eventually leaving behind a remarkable church. However, it didn't take long for the poor poor to hit the fan. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, the pawpaw hitting the fan. In other words, now we've got problems. There's, there's trouble. There's chaos. Already in the first letter that we don't have, it's referred to in 1 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 9, Paul had written to them and told them not to associate with sexually immoral people or, to the, or with the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Then we see there's a second letter, which we call our first letter, 1 Corinthians. And Paul responded to reports that he'd heard from there, that the church was divided, that there was immorality, that there was the ugliness of lawsuits, Christians taking Christians uh, to court, and many other matters concerning marriage and spiritual gifts and Some chaos in the church. He needed to speak about order, clarity on the gospel and uh, resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and even some teaching on the nature of the resurrected body of the believer and victory over death. So you can see constantly having to feed back to them, giving them correction and rebuke and training in righteousness. That's the second letter. But sadly, again, to use the same analogy, Poor kept coming, flying into the proverbial fan. And yet is another letter which we don't have, known as the severe letter. He refers to this in second 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, 4, and 9, and later on in the book as well. And the local church again needs correction. They need rebuke and and, and, and training in the ways of God and that which is pleasing to God. And then still more troubles emerging. And uh, the Apostle Paul then writes this, Second Corinthians, as we call it, and having to deal with a number of issues. Now, my point is this. I want you to see that a church that seemingly started well Let's even say that it was a healthy church. It was a good church. It was the kind of church you would want to belong to. It was the kind of church that was pleasing to God. But can you see how quickly a healthy church can decline into sin and error and confusion and even anarchy? Can happen. It can happen to us. It does happen to churches all over the place. And so the church... And members of the church, generally speaking, but specifically to us as well, constantly need to remember that we need to be redirected, always back onto the pathway of progressive sanctification, being molded, being formed into the likeness, the moral likeness of Jesus. And so we can say most definitely as we begin this study that the Uh, There was much sanctifying work to be done in the Corinthian local church, which prompts the question, is there sanctifying work to be done among us here at the Arcadia Central Baptist Church? And the answer, of course, is yes. There's work to be done. We're a huge crowd of people yet today, wonderful, we thank God for that. We're grateful for Him uh, gathering us together as a group. Many are believers, perhaps some are not believers, but the reality is that we are people who are confused to some degree on some issues. There are people that are struggling with issues in their lives in terms of uh, grieving or or, or, or even struggling with disappointment or, or hurt. There are rebellious people among us, uh, resisting God and resisting uh, the teaching of God and the doctrine of God. There are people who are discouraged. There are people who are unforgiving and, and, and people who are suffering. Do, do, do you see the importance? We, we sang a song at the earlier service at the Hill. Uh, we sing it here at Arcadia so often. Our sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. God is forgiving. But that doesn't mean that we don't work at the reality of eradicating the sin in our lives. And so here and and elsewhere, and I'm thinking not just Central Baptist Church, but every single church in the city and elsewhere, we as God's people need to be directed in the pathway of progressive sanctification there ought to be a growing more and more into the holiness of God which leads me to my second point making meaningful progress if there is to be progress a progressive sanctification we need to be thinking well i need to make progress how do i do that got me thinking about a toy that I have enjoyed uh, down through the years with my children. And uh, I'm sure many of you have played Lego. Eh? Everybody knows Lego, Lego, wonderful toy. It's been part of my family from my oldest son. He's now 33. And uh, very interestingly, I noticed my daughter-in-law gave my other son, who's now three decades old, not three years old, a Lego gift for Christmas. So it seems like kids as well as adults like Lego. Now here's my point. Something I've learned from playing with Lego. You can't mix the cheap look alike blocks that you get at the crazy store with the genuine Lego pieces. Because if you do that your structure will not stand. It will, not be, uh, it will not be of great quality. And then the other thing I've learned, particularly if you are building some of these very elaborate Lego models, a motorized car or a crane, you have to follow the given plan to finish the model properly. And I believe there's a lesson there that we can learn. It's a message that the Apostle Paul communicates in this, open, uh, in this opening greeting of the letter In the context of the Corinthians, you and I needing to make progress in our lives. Now, here's my point. To get to be the finished product that God intends for you, sanctified subjectively, cheap lookalike approaches won't do. Has to be the real thing, the real deal. God's way, God's way. And we must follow all the designers' plans, God's plans, because shortcuts and own ideas will fail. And so, folk, as I turn to this opening paragraph, I did notice that there are some helpful Lessons I've called them if you want to make progress, if I want to make progress in my walk with God as someone who is still tarnished, struggling with the blemishes and blights of sin, there are at least three convictions. Well, there are three convictions here in this passage, in these two verses that we ought to take to heart. In fact, I I believe they ought to be embedded in your heart. Otherwise, you will struggle to make progress. Number one. God calls the shots. Now, why have I said that? Our sinful nature is inclined not to want to come under the authority of anyone or anything else. We like to be autonomous. We like to be independent. We like to be masters of our own destiny. There are two phrases that uh, I, I think I see this manifested in. In some instances, there is a response that says, who says? When there's a command, you ought to live like this. You ought to believe that. The the response of the sinful heart is, who says? I'll believe what I want to believe. Why should I believe what you're saying? What? Who says? Don't hear that so much at Central because we claim to be people of the book. But what I do hear sometimes at Central is, I'm okay with this, but I'm not okay with that. God calls the shots comprehensively, completely, all of the Bible. We can't be selective in that which we want to accept. And not accept. And it has to do not only with behavior, but also with belief. And we're going to confront these, both of these aspects through the book of Second Corinthians. There's going to be a correction of behavior, conduct. But there's also going to be teaching that will direct us in our thinking about God and about ourselves and this world. In other words, in our doctrine. And the mistake that we often make is, make is we elevate our own opinions we elevate them and we, 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 we raise them above God's revelation or we, we raise the opinion of other people, people that we respect as, as spiritual heroes and we allow them to determine what we ought to believe or how we must behave. Well, this was part of the struggle that Paul was having with the Corinthian church. Some people in the church had been influenced and it got to the place where they were now questioning and undermining the apostolic authority of Paul. Who says? Who's he? Why should we listen to him? And so to set the record straight, he opens the letter with a declaration, and again, I'll read it, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of Of God. He's emphasizing right at the beginning of this letter the very important reality that he's called to be an apostle, his appointment as an apostle had come directly from the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. He's no fly by night self-proclaimed apostle. I want you to notice the reversal of the words. He writes, an apostle of Christ Jesus, rather than what he normally would have written, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Look at the detail. Why? Paul is communicating here that he was personally commissioned and sent by Christ or Messiah Jesus who himself was the unique apostle sent from heaven. Isn't that true? The father sends the son. Jesus is the main apostle, the great apostle sent from the father to this earth. And so it's this sent one, it's, it's, it's this unique apostle, the sent one from heaven that sends Paul. Paul. The Messiah, he was Jesus also, of course, saving people from his sin. And so he has the practical application. Paul trying to communicate in his opening greeting. Jesus came by the will of God. And Paul, the apostle, also came by the will of God. And so, very importantly, those two go together. For anyone to ignore the authority of Paul, in effect, is challenging the authority of God. It's important because as we look at all the aspects in the unfolding of this letter, of course the rest of the Bible, but this letter, where there is a denial, where there is an undermining of his authority, we need to get this straight right at the beginning. Now just an illustration, I don't know whether it's helpful, but I'm sure you have noticed during load shedding, car guards and beggars have taken to being traffic cops and they direct the traffic, and it's chaos. Uh, I, I'm terrified every time I see a, a, a bigger uh, trying to direct traffic because they don't use the proper signals. They don't quite know how to stop this lane to get that one going, and, and more than one occasion, I found myself uh, in, in a situation where hooters are blowing and people are shouting and carrying on because why? Why, why is that happening? It happens because these People are not qualified or capable to direct the traffic. I'd rather follow the directions of an appointed, directed traffic officer, uh, qualified traffic officer who has authority and competence. And so every believer at Corinth, at Central, anywhere, everywhere else, needs to follow the authoritative instructions of an appointed, qualified, competent, sent one. Paul is such a one. Of course, there are others. We have the evidence or the product of the New Testament scriptures directing us both in belief, what we ought to believe in terms of doctrinal content and what it is uh, that our behavior should look like. So, so you have two sort of pathways. If you, if you don't believe that Paul is God's sent one, you won't listen to what he says. You're gonna do your own thing. And you will keep blundering on in your Christian life with a hit and miss kind of approach. You will not be able to grow into the likeness of Jesus who ultimately is truth, the personification of Truth. If, however, you do believe with all your heart, you see what I'm coming at, this conviction, God calls the shots. If you do believe with all your heart, the apostle here and the other authors of the Bible are those who have been commissioned by God to record the will of God for the benefit of the church, you'll make progress in eradicating these spots and wrinkles. And so the bottom line that I think I'm asking, I am asking you this morning, is do you have an unwavering conviction that God calls the shots in all of the Bible that he's given us, but specifically over these next months as we preach the book of Second Corinthians. The authority of Paul has been challenged and, and he responds by defending. And we're gonna see more of that as we move along in the book as well. But there's a second conviction. Not only does God call the shots, but I see here also that God owns The church. We had some chaos at our elders' meeting on Tuesday night at my home. And the elders will remember the reason for the chaos was I have purchased and acquired and now own a naughty little dog. My little dog's name is, is Flopsy, and she's very energetic. And uh, I love the dog. So I bought her. I own her. I tell her what she can do and she can't do. Sometimes she listens, sometimes she doesn't, but she ought to because I own her. But also I take care of her. So last night, last night I came back from a meeting I had in Joburg and the Baptist Union and I stopped off at KFC to buy myself a streetwise dinner, three pieces of chicken and some chips. What I thought of my dog, and I bought her some nuggets <laughs> because I own her because I love her she's a precious little dog. the elders don 't think so all right but you get you get my point ownership ownership establishes authority, and when it comes in the context of love, which ownership of God does, care rule and. Care. The person who owns whatever is the one who has authority over the thing. And so what are we seeing here? Paul in his opening address clarifies the church belongs to God. S- second part of verse one. He doesn't just write to the church. To the church of God The church of God. God owns the church. The church belongs to God with all the saints in the whole of Achaia. And so God owns the church, that church, this church, all authentic, genuine churches. He's bought the church. His own blood. We're going to share around the communion table a little bit later. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. If you are a believer, you're not the master of your own destiny. You are subject to your owner, to your master, to your king, to your Lord. The very next verse says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, in obedience, in submission, in trust. We know too that Jesus is head of the church, just one Instance we are told that I'll share Colossians one is head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then it, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so that gives a very important lesson for us to understand. We need to clarify our thinking that the church at Corinth did not belong to Paul because he started it. It did not belong to the super apostles because they thought they were great. This church does not belong to me or anybody else. The church doesn't belong to the elders or the council or the members. And sometimes, let me say that in churches, there is this thinking that the church belongs to stakeholders, families, certain families or certain financiers. No, the church belongs to God. Church belongs to God. When we get that conviction firmly established in our heads and hearts, We'll understand something about our mutual, together, God-ordained function. To be a congregation, we need to be, we must be a congregation of God's people. People who are regenerated. That's why in our membership class, we will ask the question, have you been born again? And we will teach the Baptist principle of regenerate church membership. We are the people of God, belonging to God. And so we gather together as God's people, but we also gather together in God's presence. We gather together to hear the words of God, to accept and submit what he does. I want to just add, before I move on to the third conviction, just to notice he, he, he does mention Timothy, identifies him as their brother. He speaks also of all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. And the point is that these people also, like the believers at Corinth, are brothers and sisters who belong to the church, belong to God, their father. So, practically, what's, what's the approach? If you have this conviction, when you're convinced that God owns the church, I think our attitude, your attitude and my attitude could be more along the lines of Isaiah who trusted God in what he was doing and quoting Isaiah 64 verse eight. Oh Lord, you are our father. We belong to you. We are the clay. You are our potter with the work of your hand. Submitting, trusting. Third conviction. God is the source of help. To some degree, all of us struggle with sin and also what we believe. We we we're grappling with issues. Uh, blemishes and blight of sin and and comes in different manifestations in our lives. I have a list here. It's not exhaustive. Pride, self-sufficiency, greed, stubbornness, jealousy, lust, idolatry, malice, unforgiveness, divisiveness, stealing, lying. Do do you get the idea? We we struggle. I mentioned this earlier on in the the sermon. So what, what does Paul do? He starts the letter off in an expression, grace to you and peace. Verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, It's what one author called Paul's prayer wish. That God will be at work in you, giving to you grace and peace. You need it, I need it. We need grace and peace. The help required is in the form of this needed grace and peace, not just any grace and peace, but from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because the redemption has been accomplished by Jesus. Why grace? 21st century and particularly 2023 uh, tends to lead us to a place where we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's not accurate that. We shouldn't. We need grace, dear friends. All of us need grace because if God gives us what we deserve, we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble. We have no hope. We stand in need of this grace, this generosity from God toward us. Where grace points to God's amazing condescension. God's stooping, the son coming and humiliating through a process of humiliation to die the death of a sinner in the place of other sinners where he himself was perfect. But not only do we need that grace at the point of conversion, that's a mistake many people make, but we need grace constantly, day by day, week by week, year by year. The consequence is peace. Grace comes before peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ after the receiving of grace. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have therefore peace with God. And because of the great gift to us, we too can share that with others. Having received grace, we give grace. And therefore we ought to be experiencing peace. There's another passage that speaks to the same blessing of God helping us, him being the required help. It's from Hebrews chapter four. The writer there, or the author says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, let me conclude So, yesterday, I don't know how many of you uh, were aware, was the King's coronation. Not too many people from South Africa watched the King's coronation. I didn't watch it, but I was very interested to know what would transpire at Westminster Abbey in the commitment that the King would make. Because if you know anything about the history of England, the King is the defender. Of the faith. He undertakes, or the Queen undertakes, to be the defender of the faith. It's a very elaborate, uh, uh, what would you call it, uh, service with everybody in their regalia. And uh, at one point in this coronation, they presented him with a Bible. And the questions asked of him would he? Uh, submit to and promote all of the contents of this Bible the Bible was then folded and put on a lectern in front of him and this new king went down on his knees and he kissed the Bible I went cold and I thought to myself is this lip service Because if you look at his track record, he has not been the defender of the faith. Was he just going through the motions of a particular ceremony that has been established for some 400 odd years? But the question is not the king, he's in another country. The question I ask myself and I ask you this morning is do you pay lip service to God? Because in this greeting, I find it very interesting that there are these three convictions very much centered and focused on God. And so the question is do I pay lip service saying that God is my all in all and then I live as I like or I pick and choose what I want? So, do you see the challenge? The opening greeting of this letter challenges us to consider where these convictions of God are in fact thoroughly and solidly embedded in our hearts and minds. We need that as we navigate through this life to make progress in sanctification. So I close with uh, the three convictions again God calls the shots. Do you obey him? God owns the church. Do you trust him? God is the source of help. Do you depend on him? Lord, I do pray that you would grow us and lead us. Please, Lord, your spirit, uh, the the reality of, of, of divine help is what each one of us need. I need this. I know we all need, Lord, to make progress the ongoing work of your spirit in a context of giving grace and peace. And even as we come to the table, may we look to Jesus and see the reality of that which you have done in stooping so that we may know the blessing of life in your family as our Father God, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.